Welcome to the America in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. We're recording this on Friday, August 12th. Casey, it's been another busy news week. What with the raid on former President Donald Trump's home, the House poised to take up the questionably named Inflation Reduction Act today. More inflation news. The escalating war of words between Texas Governor Greg Abbott, New York City Mayor Eric Adams over the border crisis. Where should we begin, Casey? Well, uh, I am today reporting live just miles from Mar-a-Lago, so I think we should start there. I'm here in Florida, South Florida, and that's really oh, that's, been the story that, of the week. That's, that's that's right. You're on vacation again, aren't you? Yes, I am working on my vacation. Um, you know, something. Uh, I'm I, not, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to no, do it. Go ahead, Dan. Must, must be nice. All the vacation days the company gives you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. So this is my first time to take one. It's really been nice. Um, uh, as long as you uh, work in the morning, you can take as many vacation days as you want. So, except that month-long trip to uh, Europe you took in April. Right. That was an investigative piece I'm working on. Okay. Deep dive. Deep All dive right, so into cuisine. So you're Europe. miles away from Mar-a-Lago. What's going on? Yeah. So that's been the big story of the week, of course, as I'm sure our, our listeners know, the raid. Um, the Department of Justice raided to uh, Donald, former President Donald Trump's residence there. Uh, it has, I mean, the effect of it, I don't think we've really even seen the full effect of what this is going to do politically. Um, it's really galvanized Trump's base. It, uh, Trump's fundraising has soared since this happened. Um, you know, a lot of people felt that it was the Biden administration going too far uh, because for the most part, I mean, you know, former presidents really get almost a free pass uh, when they resign or they, you know, they leave office. Um, and there's reasons for that. Uh, you know, a big one being that a sign of um, in <laughs> unstable um, countries and governments is that they go after their political opponents with the force of law. And so even you may remember, even for all of um, Donald Trump's talk about you know locking up Hillary and he practically ran on um, putting Hillary Clinton in jail, even for all that yeah, talk yeah. when it came time for him to be in office, uh, of course he didn't do that. He didn't do anything like that. And so when it when he left and he got raided, uh, this really um, upset a lot of people, and it's really gotten the entire Republican Party to rally around him. I mean, uh, probably the big loser in this is something someone like Ron DeSantis, who was hoping to drive a wedge between Trump and the Republican Party. But um, so far, they've only embraced him more. Um, for example, you know uh, Marco Rubio. Florida um, Senator from here in Florida, where I am today, is calling for a congressional investigation. He's not the only lawmaker calling for uh, an investigation of how it's done. A lot of people are saying something needs to be done. Of course, there's um, this also a legal battle. And I don't know if Dan, you want to talk a little bit about this legal battle to actually unseal the search warrant um, for how this how this raid even got started. Yeah, so the raid occurred on Monday of this week. Um, uh, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, who oversees the Department of Justice, um, finally came out and spoke about it on Thursday. He took credit, if you will, um, uh, for um, uh, for uh, approving um, getting the search warrant to search uh, uh, former President Trump's uh, home at Mar-a-Lago. This dispute is over White House, House documents. 
um, some that might be classified uh, that the Justice Department says uh, uh, Trump took to his Mar-a-Lago home from the White House. Um, he finally spoke out about it last week, as there have been calls since Monday um, for Garland to release uh, uh, the, the warrant language. Um, he finally said that he's requested that the court unseal the, the warrant documents. Um, they have not been unsealed yet as of uh, this recording, um, um, but but critics on both sides have, have, have called for the warrant to be unsealed. Garland is now saying he's asked the court to do that. Um, the, the warrant, of course, was approved, had to be approved by a judge. It, it would contain uh, the language that would explain what what um, the FBI agents are were looking for um, when they raided uh, Trump's home. So we'll, we'll have to see what those doc, if they are, in fact, released, um, what those documents say. Yeah, I mean, and even the former you know, Democratic governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who is certainly um, you know, not necessarily known for his legal adherence or acumen, but he said even he's questioned this. So I just see, I'm just pointing this out because it's bipartisan. Yeah, right. yeah, a Democrat. He said DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid, and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives, or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6 investigations. Right. So even when you even have like leading Democrats in the party saying, hey, like this is in danger. And a lot of what a lot of analysts are saying is what you've done is you've taken Trump, um, who was becoming maybe increasingly marginalized, increasingly irrelevant, and you've made him a, a martyr. And you've kind of uh, you've confirmed so much of what Trump's message is, which is um, it's me versus the deep state and the media. You know, the deep state and the media are working together to undermine you, the American people. And if it weren't for me standing in their way, they'd come for you next. That's really been like a core part of Trump's message from the beginning. Um, and now <laughs> they've like, in a, in a very, like, it almost seems like perfectly tailored way they have uh, that validated that message, you know, by making him seem like a martyr. So this can have big political implications. Of course, the legal case will be really interesting to follow. Um, as of now, it doesn't seem like there's any big smoking gun that, you know, Trump's going to have to answer for, but we'll just have to follow the story then to see how it unfolds. Republican critics have also pointed to the years ago scandal of, of Hillary Clinton's uh, laptop, uh, another Democratic laptop, the emails that she stored on her personal laptop that um, supposedly contained uh, classified information too, and the hypocrisy of justice and not serving a search warrant on Hillary Clinton to uh, to get that laptop to see exactly what was on there. Um, so Republicans are definitely using this as a rallying cry uh, against the Justice Department. Right. I mean, remember, Trump's famous nickname was Crooked Hillary <laughs> for a reason. That's what he named his opponent, Crooked Hillary, pointing to her corruption or alleged corruption. Uh, and so but even then, like I said, he didn't go after her, didn't, you know, actually lock her up. And if he had you know, the entire country probably would have been up in arms. Maybe not the entire country, but all the establishment media. So many of the people who are celebrating this Trump raid would have been um, pointing to Trump as a dictator for going after his political opponents. And so I think that that hypocrisy is is a big argument against what's being done now. Right. Well, well, certainly there'll be developments in this story uh, in the coming days and weeks. We'll be on top of it at the center square. Uh, but let's move on today. Uh, as I mentioned today, Casey, we're recording this on Friday, August 12th. There very well could be a vote later today 
on the Inflation Reduction Act, which the uh, U.S. Senate, uh, in a 50-50 vote with a tiebreaker from uh, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, on Sunday, passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Now the, uh, they made amendments to it so that it's back in the House where there very well could be a vote later today. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, this seems all but certain to be passed and signed into law. I mean, the Senate has become has been the main and almost only battleground in this, this Congress in the first two years of President Biden's administration because it's split 50-50. Um, it's Republicans and Democrats and, you know, some senators on the left, on the Democrat side, like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, have been really reluctant to support some of Biden's, um, high, you know, high level spending plans. And so getting Manchin on board, getting Sinema on board ha- has been really difficult. That's been the main battle for Biden to push his agenda through. Um, he was able to get the 50 votes with um, Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie to pass through, you know, this bill, which spent a lot of money on the climate, spent a lot of money and by the climate, I mean like green energy kind of things. And uh, of course on prescription drugs. So once they got through that hurdle, it, it was all but certain it would get passed. I mean, they had, the Democrats do have the majority in the house and they know how difficult it is to get anything through the Senate. So, I mean, for Pelosi to uh, fumble the ball in this one would have been pretty, pretty amazing. And it, it looks like it's not going to happen. So it's supposed to pass today. By the time our listeners hear this, it may have already passed. And then it'll head over to Biden, who I'm sure there'll be a lot of pomp and circumstance, you know, celebrating this. Uh, They've managed to really combine some major elements of Build Back Better, uh, which was, you know, Biden's several trillion dollar um, spending plan coming in office. They've managed to combine that with this messaging around reducing inflation, which is, you know, inflation has become the, the really big issue. It's been one of the biggest hindrances, hindrances to the Biden administration and to his spending because, you know, he passes these bills, sends out the stimulus checks, and inflation just continues to rise. Now, some of the data that came out this week was actually um, maybe a little more encouraging, but even then, I mean, inflation is still 8.5% higher yeah. than it was the same we'll, time last year. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, uh, this is $740 billion uh, spending plan. Um, one of the the biggest drivers of inflation is has been government spending, massive sp- government spending increases. So that's why the $740 billion spending bill, uh, which is called the Inflation Reduction Act, seems like a bit of a misnomer. Um, but one of the more controversial, you mentioned the green energy spending, you mes- m- mentioned the healthcare and prescription drug spending contained in the bill. One of the more controversial measures um, is uh, contained in the same bill. Uh, is uh, uh, spending to hire roughly 87,000 more IRS agents to conduct audits of Americans. Uh, what are people saying about that? This has been one of the most controversial elements of um, Biden's plan. He's basically doubling the size of the IRS and ex- explicitly saying the reason he's doing it is to, uh, or he's doubling the number of IRS agents. Um, he's explicitly doing it to significantly increased auditing um, to generate more revenue to fund the spending. So I can, you know, I'll get into a little bit of criticism, but some people may find this kind of odd. Like, why is this happening? Do we really have a big auditing problem? Like what's going on here? Um, I think what it comes down to is Biden raising taxes is so difficult. It's not something Biden wants to do. It's hard to do, you know, split 50, 50, getting a tax increase through such a tight Senate would be very difficult. Also, Biden, you know, made a pledge to not raise taxes on anyone making more than 
$400,000 or less than $400,000 a year. So his hands are going to tie. You know, he's done different tax increases, things like he's tried to do. But um, this auditing is like a really interesting accounting trick where <laughs> you can basically say, hey, we're going to hire more um, IRS agents. And so when we pass this bill, we can say that revenue is going to go up, even though we're not raising taxes. We can say, oh, this is going to increase enforcement, you know, X amount of dollars, which will then pay more than pay for the $80 billion to hire the agents. Um, so in some way, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to verify, you know, how much revenue is really going to be generated by this, but it allows Biden to help pay for part of his bill without raising taxes, which would be really political, politically difficult for him. So that's the why behind it. But as far as the criticism, I mean, there's a lot to be had, but one of the, the big ones is like, hey, wait, who's going to get audited here exactly? Because you know, it's not just, uh, there's only, you know, a handful of billionaires to go through audits and, and they actually usually are pretty buttoned up and have their act together because they have a team of lawyers and um, accountants on their side, but the average American doesn't have a lawyer. Maybe they have an accountant, you know, they hired for, for a weekend or something. Um, but I think small businesses are going to be, you know, I talked to a lot of experts about this and they, they make clear that small businesses are going to be one of the biggest targets of this. Um, because when the IRS looks, they, they perceive that this is where the biggest tax gap is, where they think they can get the most bang for their buck by auditing small businesses and, um, making them pay back taxes, making them pay things. And this, you know, this comes at a time when, uh, small businesses are already really struggling. So, um, this is an interesting thing to watch. I mean, I think, uh, small businesses are the backbone of the economy, of course. Uh, but it's important that we know that this IRS auditing, you know, increase isn't just going after a few billionaires. It's 87,000 agents. New agents. Just, you know, this would be an new. additional agents in yes. addition to the agents they already have. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah there's, not, agents. there's not 87,000 billion dollar companies um, in the United States. So obviously, no. and, and, and agents handle more than one case at once. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious this is going to you know trickle down to the to smaller businesses, even individuals. And, and what it, it, it really what it assumes is that Americans are tax cheats, that you need 87,000 additional agents to go after these tax cheats, the tax mm -hmm. cheats in America. That's right. And you need uh, small businesses in particular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so you don't think, well, you know, I could easily see why it's like, well, hey, um, well, if people aren't paying their taxes, they should. I pay my taxes. And that's true. Um, but. You also have to think when you get audited, you know, you, plenty of innocent people and innocent businesses get audited and it's a huge administrative burden to get audited. I know, Dan, you've probably been audited many times, you know, given your, you know, what I know about you. No, I'm just kidding. You know? <laughs> but if you get audited, it's not just like, oh, I pay my taxes. It's fine. I mean, it's a very long process. Um, I know people who've been audited. There's lawyers involved. It's very expensive. Um, so it's no small thing to just get audited, even if you are innocent. I think it's important people know that if you've never been audited, I mean, I've never been audited, but I know people have, and it's no, uh, it's no joke to get audited. I mean, it's scary for people and it costs a lot of money to just deal with the paperwork and hire people to respond to an audit. <clears throat> no doubt. As we mentioned, the house very well could be voting on this today. So check out the centersquare.com for updates uh, on this story. Uh, but let's move on, Casey, some more um, inflation news, news that um, the Biden administration um, tried to spin as positive um, for his efforts to reduce inflation. Tell us what the news is and let's analyze it. 
Yeah. So um, we had a couple of big inflation markers come out this week. Of course, if you've uh, been listening to us for a while, we've been covering these inflation markers. There's your consumer price index, the producer price index. Um, and so the produce, you know, consumer price index came out for the month of July and it was basically static, you know, 0% increase from the previous month. Producer price index, I believe, actually went down a little bit. And so, of course, this is much better than it continuing to raise it, you know, about 1%, which is what we've seen in previous months. It's been really troubling. So the White House was very quick to declare victory. This is the first time they've had some good inflation news in a long time. So they, I mean, they went all in on declaring victory on this, saying, hey, we fixed this. It was really well-timed for them, you know, with the what, debate over whether the Inflation Reduction Act will actually do that or if it's just messaging. You know, it's that the whole name Inflation Reduction Act is really kind of funny. It's like passing a gun control bill and calling it the 100% definitely constitutional bill. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't just name it something and then hope that people believe it just because it's named that it does it. But the inflation has been even more so in the discussion because of the name of that bill and questions over, hey, how is spending all this money actually going to reduce inflation? So, um, what, you know, we I, do, I dug more into the data this week as we were um, reporting on it. And I found, hey, it's absolutely true that um, consumer prices have kind of remained static. And the biggest reason for that is because we've seen such a drop in gas prices. You know, gas prices in June um, were they hit a record high of $5 per gallon for a regular gallon of gasoline nationwide. And so we hit that very high point in June, but we've dropped down to basically about $4 per gallon nationally now. So a whole dollar drop in about eight weeks is very significant. And it's kind of skewed all this data. It's an outlier. I mean, that's a huge, unprecedented drop, a whole dollar gas in eight weeks. And so that decline has made the overall picture of what consumer prices look like a little warped. Um, and so if you're still going to, you know, for example, going to the grocery store every week, you're still going to see, you know, higher prices than you saw last month. So um, actually food prices have risen at the fastest rate since the 1970s. So, you know, the food at home index rose 13.1% over the last um, 12 months, according to the BLS. That's the highest since 1979. Um, you know, the other food, you know, it depends on what kind of food you buy, but some things like eggs are much higher than 13%. You know, it depends on the product. Some are higher, some are lower. And anybody who's regularly grocery shopping can tell you that. But, um, overall, you know, we can get into, uh, some more discussion about what the inflation really looks like, but a lot, many things that matter to Americans like food prices are still rising at a really fast rate. Um, we did see a, a minor win um, for the nation on inflation this week, but it's unclear really how significant that is or if the data is just warped because of this unusual drop in gas prices that we're not going to be able to sustain. And, and while certainly it was, you know, <clears throat> somewhat good news for Americans, as you mentioned, they are still paying more for everything than they were a year and a half, um, two years ago. What will be interesting to see is that is, is if there's a trend here, if this was a, a one month um, blip uh, or if when we come back uh, uh, in August or in early September and find out the August numbers, if the trend um, continues. Another story I want to talk about, Casey, and we uh, um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but the uh, the war of words between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and New York uh, City Mayor Eric Adams continues to escalate over the border crisis. Of course, 
Um, Governor Abbott blames President Joe Biden um, for the hundreds of thousands of illegal border crossings that happen every month into the state of Texas from 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 Mexico. Governor Abbott um, uh, in May started shipping some of those immigrants to Washington, D.C., busing them to Washington, D.C., a move that Democrats said was a political uh, ploy. Um, um, and then uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, um, before Governor Abbott even started busing illegal immigrants uh, to New York City, started complaining about the, um, the the homeless crisis they're having there because of the influx in uh, illegal immigrants, even though Texas was not busing illegal immigrants uh, to New York City. The Biden administration was flying immigrants across the country, including to New York City. But Adams blamed Abbott, so Abbott started busing um, uh, uh, illegal immigrants to New York City in addition to Washington, D.C. Uh, and now since then, the the war of words between the two has escalated with Adams uh, saying uh, Abbott is creating uh, a crisis, in, a humanitarian crisis in his city because they don't have the resources um, to deal with all of these uh, illegal immigrants. And Abbott, of course, fires back. Texas has been dealing with this on a much larger scale than New York City for two years now. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Yeah. Yeah. When he says, you know, hey, we don't have the resources to deal with this. I think that's the point <laughs> that uh, <laughs> Abbott's trying to make. I mean, this kind of in some ways, it kind of feels like a little bit of high school drama, the back and forth. Um, but it has very real consequences for um, regular Americans. And I think that, you know, people in um, D.C. where I am, um, you know, except when I'm here outside Mar-a-Lago, of course. But, uh, you know, it's really impacting people. I hear people talking about it a lot in D.C. They're really worried about it. Um, and it's really relatively a, a very small number of um, illegal immigrants compared to what's coming across the border. Just to give you some kind of backdrop for this whole, this whole you know, fighting and debate as against this backdrop of um, what we've seen. Um, Bethany Blakely, one of our reporters, you know, found, got preliminary data, um, Border Patrol data, which showed that apprehensions and getaways at the southern border total 232,809 so almost 233,000 in the month of June alone so i mean if you if you could if you could imagine somehow have a vision to be able to see the whole border and just watch it for a month you're going to see 233,000 people come across in just one month and so when you hear these mayors you know complain about having a few thousand people dropped off in their community you can only imagine what these border towns um, or, or then, towns in Texas, California, Arizona are going to on a regular basis. And I think this is all about the attention. Let, let me but, interrupt you there for a second. These Texas border towns are small. You know, we're not talking mm-hmm. Houston, yes, we're no. not talking Dallas, we're not talking San Antonio or Austin. We're talking border communities of a few thousand um, people who are the the initial um, um, uh, the, uh, the the initial targets of the this illegal immigration, uh, where the people are flooding to. Um, of course, New York City, biggest city uh, in the United States. So if they can't manage a few thousand illegal immigrants, how are these Texas border communities able to do it? And obviously that is Governor Abbott's message to Eric Adams. Right. It's, it's exactly the message. And the whole one of the biggest problems that's made the border issue go on for so long is that only like, you know, four or five, six states really feel the brunt of this problem. And so the other 40, 45 can just kind of ignore it. It's not really their problem in a way, you know? So I think what, uh, if you look at it in a more friendly light, what Abbott, Abbott and them are trying to do is make it someone else's problem to get their attention, to get buy-in. Because um, up until now, 
understandably, states like New York can say, hey, it's not the border. Southern border is not my problem. I have other things to worry about. And you can get that. But now Abbott is making them worry about it. Of course, so too, just to contradict you a little bit here, though, you know, fentanyl has become a national crisis. Fentanyl is being smuggled across the Mexican border into the U.S. and distributed throughout the country and a number of non-border states. Um, um, Most non-border states have said they have a fentanyl crisis. Well, that stems from the open borders um, uh, in Texas and Arizona, because that's where that fentanyl is, is flowing through into the country. So it is yeah, a, a natural problem. It absolutely is a, rel- a little bit newer problem than the immigration problem, but it's very real. And and that is probably the biggest thing, getting states that aren't border states actually interested and involved in the border problem and the border discussion. Well, thank you for your insight, Casey. I'll let you get back to your vacation. Are you going to come back to work um, next week anytime? You know, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll let you know Monday morning. Okay. I look forward yeah. to hearing that. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, for our listeners, you can find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. For Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.